Legendary chef Auguste Escoffier raised the bar for the culinary profession. He made kitchens safer and cooking respectable. His great-grandson, Michel, told me more. The working conditions in the kitchens in those days were appalling. The heat was uh, terrible. Whenever anybody was thirsty, they would drink alcohol, which means that by the end of the afternoon, some of the arguments were with knives. The Auguste Escoffier School of Culinary Arts continues to elevate the culinary profession for aspiring chefs today. Learn more at escoffier.edu. That's E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot E-D-U. Hey, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Red Mill. Stay tuned at the break for their quiz. Hey, guys, Bridget here. Now, before we start this week's episode of Proof, I've got a favor to ask. We've posted a link to a survey in the show description, and we want to hear from you, our listeners. It only takes a few minutes, so tell us what you think. Now, on to the show. Is it me, or are food bowls everywhere? While other burger places serve the same old stuff, I'm the only one who has the bowls to serve something different. I mean, just look at my teriyaki bowls. Feast your eyes on new Banquet Mega Bowls, and you're looking at a mouthful. Taco Bell's new Cantina Bowl. You'll love it, or we'll replace it with something you do. Guaranteed. What's up with this bowl craze? This is a Buddha bowl. A Lomi Lomi Salmon Poke Bowl. You don't like we get a pop with a burrito bowl. With I would be very happy if, if I ate food out of a bowl for the rest of my life. But how did this happen? Who let this happen? Who started it? Will I ever be allowed to eat a fast casual meal that isn't a hot spoon-fed meat salad again? That's the question. And in this episode, we get to the bottom of the food bowl and see what we find. My money's on sriracha aioli because there's always sriracha aioli. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. There have been times when I've felt alone in my bowl skepticism. Times when I think, I should just give in and become one with the bowl, acquiesce to the asai succumb to the smoothie. But luckily, I have found a kindred spirit, someone who's just as wary of the gospel of the bowl as I am. And that person is reporter and comedian Harry Wood, whose awakening started a little over a year ago. This idea all started, as most things in my life do, as a conversation with my mom. Hi, Harry. My mom works in Midtown, New York, and one day when we were thinking about grabbing lunch, I mentioned the idea of heading to pick up a bowl from somewhere. And she wasn't exactly excited by the prospect. And when I asked her why, she opened my eyes. Food bowls make me suspicious. I don't understand why there is a need to have all those ingredients touching each other in one place. And it seems that Every restaurant now feels the need to have a bowl bar. And somehow, no matter what is going into the bowl, whether it's poke or falafel or organic beets or butternut squash, somehow they all come out tasting exactly the same. 
okay, at first I thought she was being like a little ridiculous. I mean, I eat bowls all the time. They're cheap, they're quick, they hit all the right notes. But the more I thought about what she said, the more I started to think, yeah, it is suspicious. Bowls are everywhere and they just keep popping up more and more and more. And as I went deeper, I thought, Maybe, maybe this whole thing is a conspiracy. Maybe eating bowls is exactly what they want us to do. It starts with a nice, warm, happy, aesthetically pleasing mix of all our favorite foods in one bowl. Then it's all our favorite foods in one food. Then before we know it, we're all happily drinking our government-supplied Nutrimush through a straw. They all taste the same, so we are the same. They all taste the same, so we are the same. Harry sounds completely insane, and I couldn't agree with him more. Thank you, Bridget. I I must say I feel completely insane. I should clarify for the listeners at home, I don't actually think that our government is trying to control our minds through the use of grilled chicken and quinoa. Frankly, I doubt they are that clever, but I do think food bowls are super weird. Well, exactly. Eating out of a bowl isn't a new thing, but it is weird. So how do bowls become the latest trend? And what's up next? The soup spoon craze? Right, you'd think so, right? I mean, bowls have been around for uh, almost as long as society itself has been around. So it seems it seems strange to me from the start that something that's, you know, tens of thousands of years old is suddenly in the last 10 years become a huge phenomenon. But I actually think it makes sense why certain parts of how society's been shaping and shifting in the past decade or so has led to food bowls suddenly becoming this like hot new thing in the same way that different sort of ways that markets work, that different crops grow has always led to different foods becoming more popular than others. So like every other food trend out there really is about understanding the food bowl. I think so. I I think that food trends, it's so easy to sort of think of them as kind of like a one hit wonder band where it's like you didn't hear about them. They're suddenly everywhere and then they disappear again. There's a lot of different parts of our culture that leads to the way that food trends are created. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that became clearer as I sort of dug into the food bowl. But you did get to the bottom of the food bowl. Oh, yeah, I did. And we were both right. There was sriracha aioli down there. But there was also a lot of interesting information. And to get to the bottom of the bowl, I knew that I had to go straight to the source, the place where it all began. You guys hearing all this? The muted chatter, the sizzling of the grill, the backing track of generic mid-90s to early 2000s soft rock. That's right. You probably know where I am. I am in a Chipotle right now. Yeah, that's right. I am currently sitting inside the inner sanctum, a busy Chipotle on 34th Street in Manhattan. I am surrounded by sheeple just chowing down on their bowls, face deep in their carnitas and their barbacoa, not even stopping to think for a second about why they're eating what they're eating. You know, like, come on. I mean, Okay, yes, I am also eating a burrito bowl, but like I'm doing it in a woke way. You know, like I'm aware of what I'm doing. In my defense, I have always eaten Chipotle burrito bowls, okay? I mean, that's where it all started for me. I still remember my first Chipotle burrito bowl. I was 11 years old. 
and a brand new restaurant had just opened next to the Staples in the strip mall in my hometown, where it quickly became a fixture of my family's Friday night takeout plans. It was reliable, quasi-Mexican food that didn't break the bank. It was a magical place where chips were lime-hinted, tortillas were warm, and guac was plentiful at a price. And when I spoke to Michael Whiteman, restaurant consultant for the firm Baum & Whiteman, it became clear this move towards the fast casual in the early 2000s was no accident. You've seen the rise of fast casual in the last 20 years, more accelerated in the last 10, because people have become increasingly suspicious of fast food and all of the pejoratives that go along with it. It's the antithesis, if you really think about it, of fast food. Fast food is a package. You go to McDonald's, they give you a package. You go to Burger King, they give you a package. But you don't see it made. It's behind a wall somewhere. If you go to a fast casual restaurant, you can actually talk to the person who's serving you. And the person they're serving you is saying, well, would you like some more chopped peppers or would you like more tomatoes or do you like this salsa or that? So suddenly you're engaged with the person who's putting your food together. That's a very big difference. Every year, Bauman Whiteman release a list of the upcoming year's top projected restaurant trends. Bowls first started showing up on their radar in about 2014 and have been a staple of the list since. And it's no surprise, restaurant data collector Technomic showed that from 2012 to 2017, food bowls saw an almost 30% increase in menu prevalence at restaurants nationwide. The world has changed. At one time, it was not necessary to chase trends. It now is necessary because... Everyone is a journalist, everyone is a blogger, uh, everyone is an Instagrammer, and if you want to keep your restaurant in the public eye, you can't sit around and do a really fabulous job on the same thing you did yesterday, because you'll disappear from public view. Like it or not, you have to find a way to follow or create some version of what the trends are. What's in a bowl? Salad ingredients, primarily. It started out as a method for giving you a salad. You could have had it on a plate. When your mother made you a salad, it didn't come in a bowl, it came on a plate. Why am I having it in a bowl instead? It's neater. It's hard to eat a salad at your desk on a plate without getting lettuce on your lap and chopped celery on your keyboard. So a bowl has a perfectly functional reason for being. And... That is one of the ways that it became part of the culture. Uh, It's utilitarian. And I guess if you go back in prehistory, you would have discovered that it's hard to carry water in a plate. But while food bowls started to rise in popularity in the 2010s, Chipotle was way ahead of the game. They first started selling their burrito bowls in 2003, and the bowls quickly began to outsell Chipotle's burritos on the menu. So I knew I had to find someone at Chipotle and ask them the question we all wanted to ask. So what, are all y'all wizards or something? Huh? Huh? I didn't say it like that. I said it more politely, but... It was still an interesting conversation. People have been eating bowls for a long, long time. But when you look at the scale that Chipotle kind of introduced them to America, 
you could say that this trend started with Chipotle. That's Chad Browse, Chipotle's research and development chef. He's worked in some of the best restaurants in the world, Daniel, Per Se, El Bulli, but even he remembers his first burrito bowl. I was working as a comi in New York City at a really fancy restaurant by Daniel Baloud. And Chipotle had just, I believe they just entered the New York market. So they were doing a little bit of promos and they came to our restaurant and did family meal for us. And I remember seeing this giant pile of silver wrapped burritos, but then next to it, burrito bowls. And that was my first experience. I loved them. Chad works out of Newport Beach, and every week he travels around to try different foods in the SoCal area to make sure he's keeping up with the trends and staying ahead of what Chipotle should be seeing coming on the horizon. And it's no surprise that Southern California is a great place to keep up with what might be next for the food bowl. A lot of the trends that started in Southern California, the keto diet, the paleo diet, inspired the kind of avoidance of the tortilla that led to the inception of the food bowl in the first place. So the idea stems from simply watching our customers. Steve Ells, our, our founder and the brainchild behind all of Chipotle here, he was in stores and just recognizing that people were changing the way they were eating in our stores. Lots of times they would either unwrap a burrito and then use a spoon or a fork to kind of devour the insides, or they would even just have us make it into the lined bowl that we generally pass the burritos on. It was just kind of watching how people want to eat and then adapting ourselves to that, you know, versus the other way around, where we tell people what to eat. So I, th I think it was just a really, a really good example of being in touch with your market. And as the burrito bowl began its steep ascent, the numbers made it clear. Chipotle had hit on something bigger than just a country's love of affordable, fast, casual Mexican food. This trend was going to be bigger and wider than just Chipotle alone could contain. A chicken burrito bowl is definitely more popular than a chicken burrito. Um, it's, it's funny like that. We sell more bowls than burritos actually here at Chipotle. You know, I do a lot of in-store visits where I'm in store just kind of watching to see what customers do. And you'll see, I would guess like 90% of our guests don't even look up at the menu panel to see what we're selling. They go right up and they they know what they're going to have. They work through that line. They look at it, you know, the food's right out in front so they can pick and choose. And, you know, it's on one hand, it, it's really cool that people are so into what they want. But on the other hand, you know, as an R&D chef, I want them to, to see what else is new. But I think, you know, this all goes back to how it can be tailored to each individual. And that's what keeps people coming back for it. Thirteen years ago, I had my first Chipotle burrito bowl. Today, I can eat a different bowl from a different kind of cuisine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week and still have enough options left over for dessert bowls on the side. I mean, Dinosaur Barbecue in Brooklyn will serve you a barbecue bowl. Veselka in the East Village will happily make you a pierogi bowl. Mighty Bowl right off of Washington Square Park will make you one of 11 different kinds of bowls, each one inspired by a different style of Asian cuisine. Do I find all of this a little excessive? Yes. Have I eaten a bowl at each of those places? Also, yes. Bowl craziness is here in full swing. But why are we so crazy about bowls anyways? And I'll answer that in a second. I have to move. People in this Chipotle are staring at me. All right, guys, I'm back. And now I'm recording from a more secure location the secret lab deep in the bowels of Chipotle headquarters where they genetically modified chicken so they already taste like adobo spices. 
Just kidding. <laughs> I'm in my bedroom. But I am still feeling a little conspiracy theory-y about bulls. I mean, I have a better understanding of the forces behind where bulls came from. But why bulls? What is it about the food bowl that has so captured our collective imaginations? Does the comforting warmth remind us of childhood dinners? Are we unconsciously attracted to the sensual curve of a good bowl? That sounds a little far-fetched and Freudian to me, but Michael Whiteman doesn't think so. There's something spiritual about a bowl that doesn't exist on a plate. And it's also sensual. It has to do with being able to cup a bowl in your hand like a Buddha. And you notice that many places are calling them Buddha bowls because they're all vegetarian. But it's not because of the vegetarian. It's the sensual experience of having a bowl in your hand that transcends anything you can get from having a sandwich in your other hand. So... Maybe we are feeling okay with our poke, uh uh-huh. Getting naughty with our basmati, yeah. Deciding if we want a big spoon or if we just want a fork instead. Harry, stop. Chipotle, more like chip, oh yeah. (laughs) Okay, you're making it weird now for everyone. No, yeah, yeah, no, I felt it that time. Sorry about that. Yeah, I did. That's my bad. Okay, so mind control might be generous, but it's not out of this world to think that there is something about bowls that appeals to us on a level that's just below the conscious thought process of, I think I'll eat a food bowl today. Right, yeah, and I think it even goes deeper than that. I think that if we want to understand why we turn to food bowls, we have to understand on a broader level what it is as a society that leads us to take foods from fads to trends to phenomenons. Because this is not the first time that food has become trendy. I mean, food fads are baked into the American culture. Yes. And I mean, before food bowls, there was the great frozen yogurt craze of the aughts. Uh, Which we ate in a bowl, by the way. Yes, we did. And in the last couple years, uh, the Build Your Own Pizza restaurant has begun an ascent from curiosity to superpower with the support of major investors like LeBron James. And I don't think those are coincidences. They all share one core facet in common, the power of choice. After the break, Harry asks the question, is there such a thing as too much choice? It's time for this week's Bob's Red Mill Quiz, where I subject one of my America's Test Kitchen colleagues to a little test on their grain knowledge. And this week, it's Dan Souza. Now, Dan knows a lot about food science, but how much does he know about food history? I've got a question for him about muesli, and let's see how he does. Hello? Hey, Dan. Hey, Bridget. How's it going? (laughs) Good. Random question for you. How much do you know about muesli? I don't know. I've had muesli before. Well, there you go. Well, here's the question. Who invented muesli? Oh, that's an easy one. I think it's got to be Alexander Graham Bell. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, everyone knows him for the telephone, but he's got other stuff, too. He did the metal detector. He did hydrofoils. I'm pretty sure he did muesli, too. Wow. Great guess. But you are 100% wrong. You couldn't be more wrong if you tried. Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually Dr. Maximilian Bercher Benner. He was a Swiss nutritionist at the end of the 19th century, and he ran a care facility for the chronically ill and prescribed muesli to his patients as a way for them to heal. How about that? 
Bob's Red Mill's muesli comes in five unique flavors made with simple and clean ingredients. Learn more at bobsredmill.com and use the offer code ATK at checkout to get 25% off your next purchase. Kohler faucets are incredibly functional. They're hard-wearing, and they feature sprays with some really cool technology. The powerful, precise ring spray is great for everyday cleanup, but for really tough jobs, there's the sweep spray. Its wide blade of water forcefully pushes food off of the plate and scraps right down the drain. Now, if you need even more power to clean or you want to fill a pot with water super fast, Boost Spray technology increases the flow rate of water by 30%. But sometimes a gentle approach is best. Think of washing delicate fruits and vegetables with no bruising or tearing. The Berry Soft Spray with its wide light spray is perfect for that job. Kohler, for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Learn more at Kohler.com. If you think cooking has to be stressful, check out our new cookbook, Sous Vide for Everybody, the easy foolproof cooking technique that's sweeping the world. We use the Joule Sous Vide machine to develop the recipes. The Joule comes with hundreds of step-by-step recipes built right in. It uses a phone app to control the cooking, and it holds the food at the right temperature until you're ready for it. Joule, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash joule. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E and use code ATK2018 to get $15 off for a limited time. Before the break, Harry was taking us through the philosophy and psychology of the food bowl craze. One big draw was the comforting feel of eating out of a handheld bowl. But that's not the only attraction. I think it's because it can be tailored to any individual taste. Um, and that's the genius of it and the beauty of it and sort of the horror of it. <laughs> Dara Goldstein is a cookbook writer and a professor who taught food studies and Russian literature at Williams College for 34 years. She's also the founder of Gastronomica, a major food and culture journal. And I think one of the reasons that makes them so uh, appealing is that you have this ostensible sense of control over what you're ordering and what you're eating. So I think the most popular bowl places, for lack of a better term, bowl eateries, you go in and you can choose your base and then you can choose your add-ons and you usually get a choice of three and you can choose your dressing. So you're saying, this is who I am, this is what I feel like today, this is how I eat and you can make it Asian, you can make it Latino, you can do whatever you want with it. And when I asked her about the rise of the bowl, she didn't seem surprised. In fact, to her, it made perfect sense. I realized that in a certain way, at this moment, the food bowl is nothing more than the American all-you-can-eat buffet in a bowl. And you can take this element and that element and you can pile on more. And instead of it being on a plate and you go back for many seconds and thirds and whatever, you put it all into the bowl at once. And 
you kind of mix it all up. I think uh, bowls are changing in size. I think they're getting bigger uh, to allow more room to toss the uh, different components that you have. I wanted to ask Dara about a side of the food bowl that seemed particularly convoluted to me, the cultural ambassadorship of the food bowl. The popularity of bowls has been an amazing opportunity for some previously underappreciated foods, poke comes to mind, to enter the mainstream. But that can come at the cost of their authenticity. Most Hawaiians will tell you that the poke you get in most poke shops in the lower 48 pales in comparison to the real deal. So I posed a tough question to Dara. Does the food bowl's ability to bring flavors and styles of different underrepresented cultures into the mainstream make them a net benefit? Or does the lack of authenticity lessen the impact of that exposure? Whenever you introduce something and make it accessible to a mass market, you're always in danger of watering it down somewhat or dumbing it down. That's the meaning of popular. Uh, It has to become something less than its most essential self. Um, But that gets us to the whole question of authenticity, which I think is also fraught, because really what is authentic when you come down to it? So we might think of uh, Southern Italian food as tomato sauce on noodles or Northern Italian food as, uh, you know, polenta or something. But those tomatoes and corn don't go back very far in Italian history. So they're authentic to us because we think that's what the grandmothers in Italy were making. And they were some generations ago, but not that long ago. So my own feeling about authenticity is that it really is of the moment. Whatever you're making is authentic in that moment, but it's not necessarily true to what its most original form was. And we also have to remember that that original form wasn't necessarily the best form. It was just the original one. So I think that it's exciting that food culture has exploded in the United States, that people are uh, constantly being introduced to new foods. And what I want to come out of this is more curiosity instead of saying, okay, this is my poke bowl, and even though it has, um, I don't know, some very strange ingredient in it, I'm not going to question why that's there. Dara makes a really good point. While I do think it's an issue that many food bowls present a sort of Cliff's Notes version of the cultures they claim to represent, the exposure they provide and the chance they offer to consumers to think and get curious about new foods and cultural experiences are undeniable. Well, you can certainly see both sides. But in the end, even on a more culture-wide level, it all comes back down to choice. Yes, it really does seem like the appeal of the food bowl from a mental perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a cultural perspective, is all about choice. We like to have the feeling that we're making an impactful choice in eating healthy, in experiencing different cultures, in picking what we eat and how we eat it. Bowls give us all of that. Although, Dara might back Michael up on the importance of bowl shape. Here's what she had to say about all that. One of the reasons that bowls 
have become so popular doesn't have to do with identity or health at all. I think it has to do with comfort. Something about eating food out of a bowl. I'm a porridge lover. I know a lot of people aren't. They think of it as Dickensian gruel. (laughs) But if you think of a really wonderfully warming bowl of oatmeal or a bowl of soup, which is kind of the ultimate comfort food, the bowl is intrinsically a comforting shape as opposed to, say, the kind of plates that you often encounter in cutting-edge restaurants that are all about angles and strange geometric forms, and you don't feel that you embrace the food in the same way. So I think we have to think about that, that comfort aspect of them, too. So food bowls are like a perfect storm of emotional and cultural string-pulling. I hate that. I hate being figured out. And they push all of my buttons. They are designed to be comforting and appealing, and they simultaneously connect us to our own internal comfort food need for security. They're a big blanket. And also our external desire to learn more about those things that we just don't know about. And they're really sneaky. They appear healthy, but they're full of meat and grains and sauces, and those all play to our base pleasure centers. They're like the genetically engineered supervillain of food or like that guy I dated in my sophomore year in college, just a little too perfect. You are not the only person to think that, Bridget. The the desire for food bowls has reached the upper echelons of society. It's even gone as high as royalty. When I was talking to Dara, she mentioned a news story that had caught her attention. I read with some amusement this morning that at the royal wedding of Prince Harry last May, they served mini bowls at the reception. Food bowls were at the royal wedding? (laughs) That seems a little, I don't know, impractical, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. And Dara agrees. Which seems like a, (laughs) yeah, a recipe for disaster, you know, if you're trying to hold your champagne and still eat out of a bowl with a fork. Like, what's going to go down the front of your dress first? It just seems so out of character. So you've got the royal family, Queen Elizabeth, all those princes, the corgis who probably have been eating out of bowls for years because they're dogs, but now all the humans are eating out of bowls. Oh, yeah, and good bowls, too. Chicken fricassee with morel mushrooms, pea and mint risotto, slow-roasted pork belly with apple compote and crackling. It was a bowl food feast. But that got me thinking, what's the ceiling for bowl food? We've spent so much time talking about where it came from and why it exists at all, but has it reached its apex? I wanted to dig a little into the future of the food bowl. So I spoke to John DeLucci, founder of the Waverly Inn and head chef of Bedford & Co. and Empire Diner, all prominent New York restaurants. I wanted to warn him that soon food bowls might be knocking on his door. But alas, I was already too late. I will say that they're on menus at both my restaurants. We have a a quote-unquote California bowl, which is uh, some quinoa and some eggs and avocado and all the things you'd expect from the word California. The other one is a salmon bowl. So I couldn't save John, but I had too many questions to take time mourning. His addition of food bowls to the menus at his restaurants made me wonder, do chefs at even the finest restaurants in the city still feel the pressure to attend to the desires of the hungry masses? Yes, 100%. And then the thing is, I can remember back 
what, 10 years ago when tuna tartare was everywhere. Every, you had, so you had to, to have it. It was, it was a law in New York that you had to have tuna tartare on your menu. You know, people demand these things. People, you know, with such fervor that you've got to have it. They ask for it. Well, it seems like this is yet another place where food bowls are annoyingly resilient. Because at least to me, at first glance, it doesn't seem like they would make any kind of leap into fine dining. But they're super popular, and that makes them lucrative. And that lucrativeness makes them truly appealing for any menu. And they're easy to fancy up. A food bowl already has all the components of a high-quality menu item. The fresh ingredients, the bold flavors, the aesthetically pleasing plating. All it takes is bumping the ingredient quality a bit and putting them in a slightly fancier bowl. And boom, you have a food bowl you can sell to a businessman. And John mentioned as much. A lot of thought goes into the way you experience food before you even take a bite. And bowls are a great conduit for that. Lighting comes into play, and the, the way we plate changes. And you know, as far as food bowls go, I mean, you can get all the food into the frame very easily. <laughs> it's all in one place, so I think that's you know, it works. It works out really well. But absolutely, you, you take all those things into consideration because we're you know, it's it's in, incredibly competitive. So you want to do everything you can to make sure people are really enjoying themselves and having you know what, what they're looking for. It might sound like John is a hardcore bowl convert, but even though the future of bowls seems rosy, when I asked John for a message for all the food bowl fans out there, he only had one thing to say. Yes, good luck on the next trend. (laughs) So Harry, have we reached the bottom of that bowl? I think we are well and truly towards the bottom, Bridget. I think we've made it through the layers of arugula and farro and different kinds of barbacoa, and we've found the bottom. And at the bottom, I think we've found some really interesting ideas about how we, as a culture, process and experience the food that we decide to eat. So at the bottom of the bowl, it's comfort, variety, choice, security. They all blend together to make Sriracha aioli. That's exactly it. I always wondered what the ingredients were. And a little bit of mayonnaise, too, just because, you know, you got to have that creaminess to it. And mayonnaise makes everything better. Mayonnaise makes everything better. You'd never think so because of what it looks like and how it smells. But food bowls are this fascinating cross-pollination of our country's collective modern approach to food consumption and social status combined with our individual desire to have our meals simple and fulfilling. I mean, I can't say that I fully trust them. I'm not entirely convinced that any trend that can inspire a headline like the New York Post's, quote, hot, skinny people are ditching salads for power bowls, end quote, really has our best interests at heart. But I do feel like they're built on important and powerful facets of culture. Our desire for control, which has increased more and more as the world has gotten crazier and crazier. Our love of warmth and comfort, which has also increased more and more as the world has gotten crazier and crazier. And our fondness for grains and meats, which has been the same for like 8,000 years. I personally am satisfied and hungry. I'm very hungry. (laughs) Me too. Uh, And I know you've been staring at food trends right in the face uh, for a while for this piece. So I'm going to call you an unofficial expert, Harry. What do you think the next food trend is that's coming down the line? 
Oh my God, I'm so far from an expert, but thank you, Bridget. You flatter me entirely. The build your own pizzas that I mentioned earlier, I think are heading in the right direction. I'm a big fan of this place called Blaze Pizza, which is like a Chipotle style assembly line for personal pizzas. But if I had to guess 40 years down the road, I mean, I think I think if you like spin out from all the stuff we like about bowls, but just make it bigger and grosser, because that feels like the direction we're heading, like a uh, like a turducken restaurant where you get to choose what animals you want stuffed in other animals. Just glutton paradise. <laughs> it's served all in a bathtub. Well, I hope for your sake um, and really the world's sake that that never becomes a reality. I hope so, too. And the way things are going, maybe there won't be any more animals in 40 years. Now, Bridget, I have a question for you. I have been asking everyone to build their own dream food bowl. And the answers have been varied. Pasta with butter, black pepper, and white truffles. I like a nice grilled ribeye, diced avocado, maybe a little bit of red onion, a squeeze of lime juice on top, and then some espalette pepper, and maybe some fleur de sel. It would be a grain bowl for sure. And it would start with buckwheat, cooked buckwheat, instead of using quinoa or brown rice. And then add maybe a little bit of roasted chicken. Newski bacon and eggs and avocado and some kind of either, you know, beautiful grilled Tuscan toast or some kind of grain. So I have to ask, what is the Bridget Lancaster food bowl? Well, I've been thinking about that this entire conversation, and I do have a couple that stick out in my mind from my childhood, and one revolves around my grandfather, who was a great cook, and he would often simmer a big old pot of brown beans all day, throw some ham hocks in there, brown sugar a little bit, and he'd take day-old cornbread, crumble it into the bottom of a bowl, ladle some beans and broth over, and he'd put in some stewed collard greens or softened onions if they were around, and drizzle it all with buttermilk. And that was the kind of bowl that would feed me right to the bone. But that was not my first food bowl. No? Nope. It was right after I got moved to solid food and my parents introduced me to a big old bowl of Frosted Flakes and milk. Ugh, Frosted Flakes and milk, so good. Mine's probably just a bunch of like anti-anxiety medication and Haribo gummy bears. After this piece, I really think I need like a good relaxing rest. Go rest, Harry. That's reporter, comedian, and food bowl philosopher, Harry Wood. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our producer. Scoring sound design and mixing by Matt Boynton. Editing by Caitlin Kelleher, Sarah Joyner, and Jordan Pearson. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester. Post-production support from Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Jack Bishop is a kale-filled grain bowl and chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bob's Red Mill, Kohler, Chef Steps, and Escoffier. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. Now, if after all that you still can't get enough of food bowls, well, then check out our website. That's www.americastestkitchen.com slash proof. We've posted some great bowl recipes for you bowl lovers out there. Oh, and one more thing. If you like proof, well, then be sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review on Apple Podcasts? Because that really helps other people find the show. <laughs>